a listener production. Okay, are you recording? Hello, good people. Welcome along to episode 158 of the Howie Games Part A, featuring a man who was born in Texas, yet who plays AFL football for Collingwood. His name is Mason Cox, and he is a beauty. So Adam Cox again. Oh, it's getting better. Oh, he's it's getting bigger and better. Impressive. Can he do it again? Can he do it again? You betcha. Now, when you first meet the big fella, you realise he is a big, big, big fella. I am talking 211 centimetres tall or 6 foot 10 in the old scale. He literally has to duck his head to get underneath doorways. I knew Mason had quite the story to tell, but I must admit I had no idea of the full depth of his story and what he has achieved. So you search and try to find, but you don't know where to go. So many thoughts flood through your mind. You're confused and want to know Mystery, what is to be So much more than meets the eye Listen to me, time is your key You will find out by and by This is a bloke who was winding up college in the States where he was playing basketball and focusing on studying engineering when he got a call to try out for a sport that he had never heard of, had no idea about it, then in no time at all, was flown to the other side of the world here in Australia, learnt a little bit more about the sport, then was offered a professional contract in that sport, the sport being AFL. From where I sit, for Mason to play one game of AFL football was a huge achievement. To forge a career at Collingwood, this is make-a-movie-type stuff about this man's story. It hasn't always been an easy road for the big man, though. He didn't think he could make it. The footy world certainly didn't think he could make it and have constantly let him know that. And in more recent times, a frightening, frightening eye injury that he talks about in depth that the public has no idea about the severity of until now. Well, they have all tested Mason as a person and as an athlete. But with a healthy dose of perspective, a positive attitude, a liking of proving people wrong, fierce determination and the help of many, Mason has made it. So many lost and left behind And no one seemed to care Those who should seems like they're blind Pretending they're not there Can't they see they hold the key Could make things better if they try Oh my Jaja, tell me why Won't they open up their eyes Coxie has just released a podcast himself. It is called The Mason Cox Show. Check it out, The Mason Cox Show. It's an interview-style podcast with all sorts of fascinating people. Once again, check it out. It is called The Mason Cox Show. All righty. Enjoy the humour, intelligence and strong will of Mason Cox, a sporting pioneer. So when you search and then you find And know just where to go And thoughts that once used to cloud your mind You see clearly and now you know Mystery, what is to be Revealed in King Selassie I Come on children, try it with me We want to reach Mount Zion well, welcome to the Howie Games, a man that, from what I can gather, is good at everything. He was a basketballer, he was a soccer player, he's come over here and taken on the world of AFL. He's become an Australian, and not only that, he's now moving into the world of podcasting, and no doubt he'll soon be Joe Rogan. Mason Cox of the Mason Cox Show joins me. I figure, big fella, I need to get you on now before you really take over 
and completely dominate the podcast space and wipe us out. But it's nice to see you. No, nah, thanks for having me on. So it's, uh, it's gonna be a little bit of a ride to get to where you're at, mate. No, uh, you've been be smashing you. the podcast game. So it's um, how are you finding it? How are you finding podcasting? It's good, man. I think you you kind of get to know people on a bit of a like more in depth level. Um, I know obviously these kind of stories that people tell. They're you know these quick snippets. You know maybe you're on a show or something that maybe like a five minute segment. But whenever you actually have a long format kind of conversation with someone. I just I feel like you really kind of leave there with an actual connection with that person. And Absolutely, that's that's kind of one thing I think I've I've really enjoyed like kind of doing this podcast. But I I couldn't agree more. So we know each other from chatting at the footy or me interviewing you for a minute on Fox or Triple yeah. M or when you came into the radio, which we'll talk about and blew us away when you're telling about what had happened to your eye. But after spending two hours with you, we'll have a connection, and I will inherently in my mind cheer for you when I'm commentating Collingwood games because and I've got a hundred and fifty of these connections now, and you're right. Like I watch australia play cricket and if usman kawaja or finchie gets out cheaply it hurts me because of that connection you develop which is the beautiful thing about the the whole podcast space i reckon mate yeah it's um it's kind of funny kind of i guess to like tie that in there's a lot of people that will tell me they'll say oh i'm not uh, a fan of collingwood but i'll be a fan of yours and it's kind of those things where like if you feel like you have a connection whether it be someone that's maybe international or multicultural or something like that they go i feel like i have that connection with you therefore i go for you and therefore i'm a supporter of your team but I've never been a supporter of Collingwood in my whole lifetime. So it is kind of funny. Once you create that connection with someone, then you always forever have a soft spot for that person and just hope they do well. Um, and it's a crazy cool story just to be like, yeah, like I'm actually, like I got that guy's number on my phone. Like I actually messaged him here, here and there and um, I consider him a good friend of mine. Occasionally, just occasionally. Yeah. I message Kelly Slater and when I get a message back, mate, I'm ready to retire. Oh, mate, that's it for me. Like the first time you messaged me when I tried to get him on the show, his autocorrect must have done something because I would have framed, I would have got an NFT of yeah. the message. But instead of saying Howie, it said Josie. And that really, really, really So if you like the Mason Cox show, people need to check it out. It's a conversational podcast like this. I saw you had Matt Preston on last week and I was listening. Yeah. It was fantastic. I loved everything about it. For me, it was Kelly Slater. Who mm. is the one guest you can choose to get on the Mason Cox show? So I've been talking about this for a while, and this yeah. is probably one that people would go, "What? What in the world are you talking about?" Julie Bishop. Julie Bishop is very classy I really woman. Want to have on. Um, she's in an amazing industry of politics. It's gone through this kind of um, interesting time with females in it, um, and I think her, the way she portrays herself, the way she does community work and everything else. Um, I've met her a few times. I met her whenever I met Joe Biden, the president. Um, and she just blew me away. Just someone who I feel like it's probably someone that like people go, like, why would you be interested in that person? You know, and also I'm, I'm very, very much like in tune with what she does. And I, I love some of the stuff she's doing. Um, and I think some of the trials and tribulations she's probably gone through as a politician in this country at times and being able to be the foreign minister of Australia, mm. like literally being the representation of the whole country would be such a wild story to say like, oh, yeah, I traveled the world and like I represented my whole country. It's a great call. She's a, I think she's a West Coast Eagles fan yep. as well. She, now, so you've you've started well by dropping a pretty big name. You've dropped Joe, <laughs> Joe Biden in early, which I always appreciate. So did you meet Joe when he came out here pre-presidency yeah, or when so did you meet him? He was vice president to Obama at that point. Right. And what type of um, dude was he? Oh, absolute legend. Just Is the he? biggest character. You know when someone- I like the way you yeah. described him a legend. Well, he just, like he's one of those people that kind of has an aura in a room and like take away kind of like, I guess his, you know, being vice president and everything else. But like- he just walked in and he was just so good at just like jumping from one conversation to another and making sure he gets like a connection with every person in the room. And he was that's so, a rare talent. That's a rare a talent. It is a very rare talent. There's whenever you see it, you recognize it and you go, man, that's like, you kind of take a leaf out of the book, you know? Yeah. 
And um, I met him, was able to like sit down, kind of try to explain what I, if I was to him, in all honesty, there's no chance he was gonna get it by the end of the day. But um, I had a bit of fun, you know, and like, I think that day was was crazy, but he he was so like kind and courteous. Like he was supposed to leave at halftime. And there was a bunch of, um, cause he, he's got some veterans in his family and stuff. And there's a, a whole bunch of vets that were in the, uh, in the room. And he stayed till like after three quarter time. And like the secret service was like rushing him out because he was on a strict <laughs> schedule. And he was like, now nah, I'm going to stay with these guys. I'm gonna make sure I talk to every single person at this table and, uh, and kind of show my respect. So that was something like little, little thing, you know, that maybe a lot of people there probably didn't notice, but, um, talking to some of the secret service guys, they were so stressed out because like, really? we've got to get to the next appearance. We got to do this, this, and this, you know, and he's just chilling, just hey, hanging out. I noticed then just say to me again, half time, half time. So to me, the half is American yeah. and the time is Australian. On 50 50 now. Well, I know. So, <laughs> so, congratulations. We let you into the country. You are a, no a naturalized <laughs> Australian now. Um, how long is the process? Explain to me as a, as a, as a non-Australian what it yeah. takes to become and what it means to be given citizenship. What does it physically mean? Like you don't have to give up US passport, I presume. No, nah, no. Nah. So dual citizen. So I've, I've just applied for my Australian passport. So, and I think three or four weeks home, I might have two passports from two different countries. Cool. Um, the process was, I, I got here originally and I kind of was like, you know what? Um, I'm just going to try this, you know, like if this whole AFL thing goes really well, like it'd be a cool kind of, you know, I guess full circle moment of saying like now i've got like physical like governmental um identification that says like you're part of this country <laughs> and um yeah so you have to have three years i want to say on a qualified visa for permanent residency yeah that takes about a year to get that kind of paperwork through accepted and then you go another year i think on that uh permanent residency and you can apply for citizenship that takes another year and then you take what is the citizenship test which a lot of people ask me about um, and that's about like 20 30 questions and if you pass that you get put into a ceremony that ceremony is where you officially become sworn in or sworn in as a citizen. Is there so, an interview process along the way? Like, do they check you out at all? Or it's just all paperwork. Oh no, it's, it's oh, I mean, like it's background checks. It's okay. all that kind of stuff, you know. So they they don't really necessarily interview you. Um, they just kind of make sure you have all the qualifications and make sure there's no nothing on your record and everything else to make sure that like um, you know, they're crossing their their t's and dotting their i's in that sense. But um, yeah, you just pay a bunch of money. Um, I think it probably would have cost me about. Uh, 12 or 13 grand. Okay. Um, what did it, it mean to you to become accepted is not the right word, but embraced as an, as a, as a person from a different country to be embraced as an Australian? Like it, I, I imagine it's a beautiful thing. It is. And I, I think I've always, I've always been embraced. I know like being, like being American and living in this country, I think a lot of people are obviously interested in American culture and like, it's a very much a holiday spot for Australians in that sense. So I've always kind of felt like people have always wanted to help me, uh, which has been an amazing kind of experience. Hmm. I think of Australian culture is like people are so willing to kind of lend out a reaching hand. Um, and I think that was that was kind of what I experienced throughout my whole whole kind of career and my whole life so far being here. And I think whenever I finally got the actual citizenship, it was kind of this amazing moment of just like, I don't know, like you've committed this eight years of my life here, like committed fully to eight years of living in this country and paying taxes and everything else. And now it's this way of now saying like, you know, you're one of us, like you're, you're part of this kind of like family in this community. And um, it kind of gives me chills like thinking about it's, it. It's, Honestly, it's like, fantastic, it's, it's, It is like kind of somewhat of an emotional thing for someone who's A, left their family, left their friends back home, uh, missed weddings, missed births of like friends and kids and and cousins, kids, you know, and all that kind of stuff, and has given up this huge, um, you know, part of their life to chase this dream that was never even known of half a world away in this country has never been. Like, so it's kind of this moment where um, somewhat of like all these risks you've taken over your kind of career 
have uh, have paid off and now you can kind of live here forever and never have to worry about it again. There's just one final thing you have to complete. The citizenship people actually sent me through a list of oh, questions no. because... Here we go. Oh, I've had to do a few of these. Well, there's a couple of things that they were I'm just unsure about. I'm well, actually... I feel well, like I've aced well, a few. We'll, we'll be the judge of that, Mason, because uh, I'm going to send this straight through to the Electoral Commission. So yep. are you ready? I'm in. What's a twisty? Twisty is a... Isn't it like candy or lolly? No, that's not a good start. <laughs> it's close. It's a type of chip. Life's pretty straight without twisties. Okay, yeah, twisties. Yeah, no, I'm okay. sorry about now. Yeah. Uh, okay, I'll get you I'll a chance. That. That's I'll, not it. Yeah. No, I'll get you a chance to one. make up for that one. There are two flavors of twisties. Oh, jeez. Um, there'd be like a. I'm assuming like Cheddar's one, but it's not. Well, there's a cheesy one, yeah. A cheesy one, yeah. Yep. And, and there's then, one other. There's probably some ridiculous one like honey soy chicken or something like that. Oh, there's a chicken. There's a chicken. Is there a chicken? So a chicken I, reckon, I reckon you're one on one there. I mean, in all honesty, though, like, have what you never is had the a twisties? Of chicken? Well, you got to have chicken <laughs> twisties to understand it, mate. Chicken twisty is one of the elite snacks of all time. Oh, I haven't had it yet. Okay. No. So you're pretty much um, one all. Yeah, oh, question mark. But <laughs> what do four and 20 make? Pause. Okay. Yeah. You're in front. In which Australian state is Cooper Pedy? Cooper Pedy's in South Australia. That is impressive. That yep. is good geographical knowledge. I, I love travel. Right. So I'm, I know, I've been to a lot of places in Australia that most people have never even heard of right. or even know about. Yeah. Well, this is helping you in the citizenship quiz. This You're is, now in front. This is really helping me. Which infamous Aussie bushranger was born in 1854? Aussie bushranger? Mm. What was it, 1884? 1854. Do you uh, know Ned Kelly? You're Ned Kelly now. My, my parents just went to Beechworth. Well, there you go. Yeah, they were just there. And I was like, you have to check out the museum. Oh, so yeah. you're three one up. Hey, such is life. Last, okay. Last words. You ever That's said. exactly right. The old More Australian than Benny Cousins tattoo. <laughs> um, well, you're in front at the moment. Now, if I say to you, Coxie, if I'm sitting around and say, Coxie, can you pass me another tinny? What's a tinny? Oh, it's a can of beer. Oh, yeah. the man. I, I don't think you've frothy. got any problems. Frothy with a stubby on it. Okay. <laughs> Which Australian movie made the slang saying, tell him he's dreaming famous? Uh, the Castle. Now, hang on, Steve. What's he asking? 150. Tell him he's dreaming. Yeah. Also, I feel like that house goes up for sale every year. It does. I don't know why. It does. But I feel like every year on the news, it's like the castle house <laughs> yeah, is back I up know. for sale. Well, we need to, right uh, to the uh, make a historical representation. You can't knock it down. You're killing this at the moment. There's enough like stuff that's heritage protected. Surely that house has reached that level. Oh, I think you're right. Uh, who's the only Australian to win the U.S. Masters? The U.S. Masters. Um, this one I wouldn't actually know. So it's golf. Cam Smith. No, no, he won the players. Didn't he, he did. Adam Scott. Adam Scott. There it is, Adam Scott. A life changer. Yeah, but you're still well in front of the ledger. Which state is a banana bender from? Queensland. Yes. Yeah. Didn't say it with confidence, but got it right. Oh, they're 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 known for their fruit. <laughs> Which Aussie made the saying "crikey" famous? Crikey. Crikey. Oh. um... He's got his whole family here up north. And yep. uh, he passed away by getting yes. hit by a stingray. Steve Irwin. Steve. There it is. I had to, I had to really <laughs> talk I'm one out. Here. I had to I'm really impressed. just go, who wants to be a millionaire? Just talk through it. That was good. Answer. Oh, crikey. At this stage, because you need to score highly on this, you are neck and neck mm. with being fully accepted. What sport is the term wrongen from? Wrongen. Wrongen. 
Oh man, I'll, what did you say to me? It's got to be cricket. Be cricket. Oh, it's got to be because no, if, if I didn't know it was footy, this would be a real awkward chat. Okay, this <laughs> like, is a bonus point. What is a wrongen? What is a wrongen? Yeah. Um, maybe it's whenever like because they go how's that? Like, it's whenever he goes like how's that? But it's like it's wrong. Or maybe like there's maybe it's the score review. The score review gets it. And he's like has called him out. And it shouldn't nah, be. It's a ball that would go yep. the opposite direction to what you think. So it's a wrong and warning. Okay, shame warning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What is a pavlova? Uh, it is a beautiful like meringue cake with like all kinds of fruit on top. Um, Carla Maguire makes the best pavlova wow. I've Maguire's ever had in my life. Wife, Carla yeah. Maguire. Okay, final one. If you're a septic, where are you from? A septic? A septic. Probably Tasmania? Nope. <laughs> a septic. Um, so I'll help you a little bit. Mm. A septic is short for a septic tank. Yeah, that's what I kind of figured. So down south, which is kind of mm. where I got with Tasmania. You got to think more international. Um, more international. Mm. Uh, New Zealand? I'm out with a bunch of septics. The Kiwis? No. Septic tanks. Yeah, I have no idea here. Yank. Oh, okay. Well, I haven't actually heard that yet. Right. So, or maybe someone's told me. I just so you're go, a septic. Yeah, okay. a septic tank of yang. Um, I've, uh, I might use that in the future. I've added up the scores. <laughs> you are well and truly worthy of uh, residence in this country. I was amazed by Cooper. Where, where have you been that's blown you away? Because um, I love that you like to travel. I'm a man that likes to see a lot of the world. I've driven from Gold Coast all the way up to Torres Straits. Okay, Up to Thursday Island. I've driven that whole bit up to Cape York. Um, I've driven from Broome all the way around the west coast uh, to Exmouth, Coral Bay. Exmouth, um, one of the great spots in this country. Amazing. Ningaloo Reef. Yep. Oh. The whale sharks up there. Yes. I didn't get to do that. It wasn't that time of year. But um, if anyone gets a chance, seriously, it's one of the most like, I think it's like the longest um, reef in the world or something down mm. there. I can't remember the, the and, exact And people don't one, understand it. It's 50 meters. It's oh, 50 meters off, off the yeah, beach. It's insane. Like, and there's such diversity out there. It's insane. But um yeah i've traveled some i've been to uluru i've been up to Alice springs i've, I've gone all the way up to tenant creek and stuff through some uh, community work that we've done with the club um elliot uh, i've been up to kakadu um i've been over to uh, i've done all of tasmania like five or six times now um, i just got back from tassie my folks are down there it's yeah, one of the great undiscovered spots for many australians it's seriously it's, it's like i mean seriously it's 30 minute flight yeah maybe an hour flight with like check-in and it is a place you can do like you can Drive the whole thing probably four or five days. Like, are you going to hit everything now? But like, you can get a solid amount. Like, I've done Cradle Mountain. I've hiked to the summit of Cradle Mountain, which is amazing. Have you done the three um, capes walk down the bottom of Tassie? Uh, I've done part of it. I oh, haven't gone all the way down. How Because um, I did like Mount Amos. I did Wineglass Bay. Did um, what's the northeast near St Helens is like Fire Bay. I want to say. Yep. Or, um, oh yeah. Now, what they call? I can't remember now. But I've done Bay of Fires. Bay of Fires. Walk. That's what it is. Yep. yep. Um, I've done all that, man. And it's just. It is one of those things. Nature is something that I one hundred percent respect, and two, it's just something that brings you back to like what life's about. I feel like at times, like it takes you away from all the different cloudiness of being in the city, and you know all the little mundane things on a, on a day to day. And whenever you just take away your phone and just go drive into the middle of nowhere, and you just you your thoughts, you really kind of sort stuff out in life. You go, man, all these little things I'm worried about really don't matter. Just really don't matter. It's a very good point, and I am I've been enthused about the opportunity to speak to you, and I can see that we are we have a lot of uh, common interests. Mm. We'll get to footy, um, but there's like there's so much more to your life than footy, and, and we'll exp- like the fact that you've come over here and have done what you've done. But let's start with like tell me about the America that you were born into, whereabouts, and what was it like growing up? It's like where are you from? 
Dallas, Texas. Dallas, Texas. Um, probably not the best uh, <laughs> best thing in the news at the moment. So on There's that, a lot on, of stuff going on in Dallas on or in that, Texas. Okay, on that very point, how have you? I have a very close friend of mine who has an American wife, yep. and she has found the last month really, really difficult because people come up, and it's not that they're blaming her, but they're like, "Oh, gee, what's going on in your country?" Yep. Which is a very unfair thing to say. How how have you dealt with the reception here to what now? The country in which we live has many, many, many problems of our own to deal with, but there's such high profile with the gun situation. I don't want to talk to you about guns. I just want to ask you, how have you found the Australian public bringing it up with you? Oh, it's it's always a first topic. For a while, it was Trump was number one, two's guns, um, and now abortions come into the top three now yeah. for the last, obviously, like a month or so. And um, yeah, it's, it's weird, I think, now being like permanently in australia here like because you are a third person to kind of what's going on like all this stuff from um a lot of the race riots and everything else that's been happening like i haven't really seen that firsthand like I, i've been like a lot of australians here where i'm watching it through you know television or i'm watching it through social media whatever it is and um it is one of the number one things that kind of comes up and it's because yeah. it's so vastly different to here like you don't see I, I think about the states and like if i leave my house and i go on a 10 minute drive i'll see three cop cars on the way we're here, I'd be lucky to see a cop car a week. Like, I just I just feel like there's not really this kind of in-your-face police presence, where in America there is. Um, and yeah, there's there's the gun situation, which um, is something that a lot of people in America will struggle to ever give up. Um, here it was pretty, I think it, it took a very tragic incident for people to all get on, on board to say, nah, we're not gonna allow this. Um, has there been many of those in the US? Yes. It's crazy to me to think that's, um that's acceptable like i i told this story on my podcast recently i said he was one of the guys with me mason Brayden. cox show if you haven't yeah, heard it's called the mason cox show check plug, it out but no that's good I feel like mason cox kind of show. into this situation of what we're talking yeah. about and i told the story of we we're talking about tornadoes and i said oh there's tornado um like drills we used to do where we'd get under the desk and they would kind of practice thing just just in case tornado came through but there was another thing we had which was a shooter in the building drill and this is this is this is in like from first grade to like probably yeah 12th grade or like ninth grade or something like that right and this is as a kid you don't understand it really you just do it teacher tells you to do it you do it now as an adult looking back i'm like that is insane to think that a kid in first grade who i don't know what age you would be maybe eight or nine whatever it is is having to practice just in case a shooter comes into the building to say you know we're going to be ready for the situation that may occur and it was, yeah, you had to, they would say Dr. Downing's in the building. And that meant- what they, what they say? Dr. Downing's in the building was our, so each school had a specific name that they would use. So it was kind of, it was almost kind of like kind of code word, right? So if in, if someone said over the intercom, all of a sudden, just out of the blue, someone said Dr. Downing's in the building, that was instantly going to your, um, your practices for that situation. So everyone would go into the corner. Um, away from the door so that you couldn't see into the the room to see how many kids were in there who was in there everyone would be slammed into this corner so then if a gunman were to come through he would have no idea how many people were in each room and then the dr downing bit was essentially if that was told over the intercom as long as he's not at the school or a student at the school they wouldn't understand what that meant so it was kind of like code word so did, did that generate fear for you as a kid or it was just you like just going knew. out for lunch or it was, it was part of the day it was part of the day and okay. like I, I look back now and i think that's crazy yeah like that's insane and then well now i kind of look at it now and i see everything that's happening i'm like well i guess there is reasoning for it but um 
now being in this country, I, I don't think you could fathom doing that. In no, this it, when you say that to me, it's unfathomable is the word that I would it's, use. It's insane. And that was kind of like, and you just got used to it. Like there's certain things and like in, in guns in like in society and stuff, like being in Texas where you had open carries and stuff like that, where you could see guns here and there. I I come here and I, I found it kind of, not necessarily weird, but I was like kind of like, what, what's going on? Like this, is, this doesn't exist. Like I walk around, I see a policeman, a policeman doesn't have a gun. I'm like, that's kind of weird. Like that doesn't really make too much sense. I guess what I was trying to gauge from you is what it's like when people come up and associate negative things in your country with you and bring that up as a topic when there are so many positive things about your country that could be talked about. And that's what my mate, that's what his wife was struggling to deal with. Yeah. The, the association with negativity. So tell me, growing up in Texas, what, yeah. what, uh, like what was life like? Um, pretty just normal, middle class. Um, sport? Sport, played soccer my whole life till I was 18. Um, played all over the world. We're in the top five in the country at one point. We played in Gothenburg Cup and played Manchester Cup. I went over to England and played. What position? Like, um, I, played, so I played center back, um, center mid forward. I think in my younger years, briefly, it was goalkeeper. But um, center back was the main one. I was kind of known as the enforcer. I don't know if you watch much hockey, but like there's the yeah, enforcer, right? I the guy hockey, that goes yeah. just beats the living well, hell were you people. punching on with other <laughs> oh, yeah, poor was, soccer players i had the record at my high school for the most yellow and red cards in the preseason <laughs> so i like to think that maybe attributed to my ability to go play afl right. um but yeah i was i was way bigger than the other guys like i was just like a, a stature wise i was a lot so were you always tall yeah yeah but I, in like ninth tenth grade um i was below because i hit puberty very late right so 19 grade i wasn't very i was probably average height as everyone else because everyone else had gone through puberty and then like my junior year which is like year 11 like that summer i grew six inches in the summer wow so i came back to school and people were like what in the world have you been eating and um <laughs> but it was it was normal because like my two brothers because i'm the youngest my two brothers went through something similar not to the extent of i think they grew four inches and they only grew three inches but like i grew six inches and it was like this is insane. You've now gone to like the center in basketball from the point guard. So, so in Australia, how often do you get when someone says to you, hey, how often do they say, hey, you going, big fella? What's up, big boy? What's up, big man? Hey, you going, big dude? How's it going, big guy? Oh. Like, do you just get big in front of everything? It's everything's big. But I'm like, I, I look at myself and I'm, I'm kind of like a cuddly teddy bear. And I feel like a lot of big dudes are. Like, they are very imposing from like a stature standpoint. But like, I never tall met. Are you? I'm six foot 11, six, six, 10. So, how many centimeters is that? 212. Because when you walked in here and I was talking to Das and then you went down to say good day to someone, I said, geez, he's a big dude. I ducked through doorways. Yeah, doorways well, that's what Das said. He, yeah. he ducked through the doorways. So, <laughs> sorry, you, you tell me about being a teddy bear, big man. Yeah, See, that's well, what I, I want to just say, big man. Yeah, well, I, I think like there is, I don't know, like I, I don't know too many people that are aggressive big men outside of playing football. I you know, like, agree. I, you go through the, like, the boundaries. I feel like anytime you interview someone, they're very just like, you know, just, you know, chilled out. Like, because I think, being such a big stature, you get a lot of attention whenever you walk into a place. People instantly just kind of look at you because like, I've never seen someone so big. And then after a while, you kind of just get somewhat used to that. And then you just kind of want to just, you kind of like go back into your shell a bit, I think, because there's so much attention every time you go somewhere. And then Absolutely. I don't know if that's the way, best way of describing it, but um, there is, even in like the AFL, there's kind of like an unspoken club of big men. Is there? there uh, if you ever watch a game and you go at the end of the game, you see who's talking the most. Two big men. Is it two really? Big men. Even if it's like defender or forward or like two rock men. Is that big boy affinity? There is a big boy affiliate. And I, I'm 100% <laughs> I've noticed it. And it's like, it's like you, you kind of like, 
you just have this kind of um, <laughs> like you, you've been through the same thing, you know. Uh, like you've been last in all the running events. <laughs> you, you've really stuffed up the two K every year. You've got this affiliation, this connection with them of just going, yeah, we've we've really pulled up the back of these things for a while. We'll. Uh, yeah, but I don't think you just talk about stuff and like, especially Ruckman. Ruckman's one of the last, I think, one-on-one kind of yeah. you know, things in, in footy now. And um, yeah, it's just, there is an unspoken club of <laughs> so, big men, I would so say. So how, um, was soccer ever, because I want to talk to you about, you've become a professional athlete. My beautiful wife, Erica, was saying, you've got to ask this by the right questions because he's an, like, it, it, she's saying he's an amazing guy to do what he's done. I said, yeah, I get it, babe. She said, yeah, but you really think about what he has done with his athletic career because I said that you'd started off in soccer. Did was there ever a thought of being a professional soccer player like Peter Crouch style, the big tall boy? He was always my kind of idol. Yeah, as, he as would have been. He's a yeah. big boy affiliate. He's a big boy affiliate. He's in the club. <laughs> and um, yeah, no, I, I'd never, I, I kind of, I played in the highest league of soccer in Texas and um, that led to like the Dallas Cup and led to playing in um, the Surf Cup and things in California and like the biggest tournaments for, you know, youth, youth soccer. And I think I got to the point where I wasn't, like getting recruited per se to these bigger schools for soccer. And once you don't get recruited to that, I mean, like if you're not over in Europe at 16 or 18 yes. playing, like you're probably not going to make money out of this thing, you know? So um, I got to the point where I was like 17. I think there was maybe one or two schools that kind of were looking at me and stuff, but I didn't really have that passion to like want to play soccer the rest of my life. Like I had this passion going to engineering, which is what I studied. A slight detour. One of my favorite TV shows of all time, Friday Night Lights. Yeah, football in Texas. I expect you boys to go out there and not take this team lightly because I promise you they're going to come at you with everything they've got. Expect you boys to play football. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Can't lose! I think if, uh, what's his name, Ranks walked into where I live in Bowen Heads, my wife would depart very quickly, <laughs> um, which is unfortunate. Um, great show. Were the footballers the big men on campus at school because Texas is known yeah. as a massive football mm. state. You've it, done your research. It, well, You've done your research, I've watched Charlie. a lot of Friday Night Lights. Yeah. Um, you know, Texas it football is, is the big, you know, big crowds for, for uh, it freaks me out when I see, I talked to Nick Revolt about this and local, yeah. local high school games, the, the, the level of crowd and, interest is is that how it was yeah because well nick's wife's from yes from texas also yeah. and um good good friends and um it is it is so you've got friday is high school saturday's college sunday's professional yep so there is football on every single day of the weekend um and there's no real way of being able to describe i guess how big high school football was in the states like there was there's probably <laughs> there's like sixty thousand people stadiums for high school football for high and school like, yeah. so these are 17 year olds this is 17 18 year olds like playing like this is like, like alan i'd have to look it up alan texas has got one of the biggest football stadiums in texas that's extraordinary like Coxie. ridiculous ridiculous i mean you look at some of the like universities have a hundred thousand yes like kyle field i think which but is like, texas the, the, the college that, the university blows me away but the high school the fact that yeah. it could have sixty thousand people whole, watching kids play football yeah is mind-blowing they have the whole town shuts down so like restaurants will shut down you know like shops will shut down right. and it was it was kind of like the social thing like i mean like at 16 17 year old you know like maybe you've got your first girlfriend that was like the like the time you'd hang out with each other was at the football game and like you wouldn't even really watch the game sometimes but they had like the cheerleaders they had the dancers they had the football team like every the soccer team would go and watch and they'd all hang out together you know and then like and they'd all the sit together and, the man oh, on the campus absolute just <laughs> idol of the school and he's got the, he's got the leather jacket thing you know with the 
he's got all that. And then like homecoming would come around and in Texas homecoming, like football game is massive. And it's the first home game of the season. And the girls and the girlfriend of the the, the quarterback, which is usually the cheerleader, um, <laughs> she would, because you know, that's just how it was. And um, they would wear this jacket and then like the girl would get this thing called a mum. And it's M-U-M, I think is the name of it. But if anyone gets a chance to look it up, it is the most ridiculous thing. It's like this, it's like a badge, right? Take a badge and put it as big as your chest. And then it hangs all the way down to the floor. Right. And it's like bells and whistles and flowers and like all this other stuff. And it was just like, who could get the biggest mum as a female was like a competition (laughs) at the school. And it made no sense whatsoever. And then you go to like the homecoming, you know, dance, whatever it was. And. That was like the biggest game of, um, of football. But like, yeah, in, in Texas, that is the mecca of NFL. If you look at, I don't know, percentage-wise of how many people in the NFL come from Texas, it would be a, a high amount. But it was every Friday night, the whole town shut down. And if you weren't there, you, people would be like, you, or we we're questioning if you were dead. That's <laughs> extraordinary. That's, so people that haven't watched Friday Nights, they need to watch the show. Um, you'll see who Riggins is very early on. Mm. <laughs> um, so where, where did you go to college? Oklahoma State University, okay. Stillwater, Oklahoma. Uh, to go and study engineering? Yep. So I, I left soccer and um, stopped playing that and went to university at 18. So you graduate high school, go straight into university and was studying engineering. So from those that aren't familiar with the United States geography, how far are you going to college from where you're living in Texas? So it's about a four-hour drive okay. north. Okay. So it's a state above Texas is Oklahoma. So did you stay on campus? Yes. Okay. So now, now the next movie I want to bring up to you is Animal House. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and the, and how and the, we could really go into this. And this is where my biggest fear is. Right, well, this is my let's biggest just, fear, let's just Again, let's just go across the top of it. So is frat house life like it is portrayed in, um, in the American shows that I would have grown up watching? Uh, yes, okay. at times. I, okay. I, so my second year... Don't say anything that's going to incriminate <laughs> no, your coxie. I'm actually pretty open about it. I, I won't go into very much detail, Good. but I will say we, we did have what we call keggers right. in college. Um, and this is beautiful because this is before the time of like a cell phone camera. Yes. So you can kind of get away with things and there's a lot less evidence than there would be what today out there. beautiful free times they were. Oh, they were. And nowadays <laughs> you can't walk out of the house. Um, right. <laughs> no, my first year, this is kind of a funny story, but I had a... I was, I mean, like I went to university and I didn't like, I wasn't, you know, bougie by any means. Like I wanted to live the college lifestyle and you have to live on campus. So I lived in a dorm and this dorm would have been two meters by three meters long, maybe. That's and, not much um, room for you being part of the big boy fraternity. Even more ridiculous. I had a twin bed and I shared that room with another human. <laughs> and that's how much space I had in my <laughs> right. freshman year. And it was like, there was 70 or 80 people on the floor. There was about 12 <laughs> floors up and like, it was, it was awesome though, because it, the cool thing about this, right? And the cool thing about university is you find yourself in the university, right? So you, you leave home. Most people in the US, they leave home, they go to a different city and they're really on their own for the first time. They're really trying to figure out kind of who they are, how to pay bills, like how to live life, you know? And that's something here, like you probably don't have that kind of, like, a lot of people just stay at home at university yeah. and stuff and like you don't really leave Only the country town. kids, only the country yeah. kids really. Like I was a country kid that came down to Melbourne to go to uni. Yeah. So, But and I wasn't living animal house style scenarios that you're nah, about to describe first, for. The me. first year I wasn't. So the first year was in these dorms and there right. was maybe, there was over 80 people like per floor up to 12 floors or whatever. And the cool thing about that was you met all these people that were in the same point of their life, like the same point of not understanding where their life's going to go, what job they're going to have, what they're going to study. Like it was just very just lost kids, you know, and everyone's put together and you just made friends of everyone because you run into everyone, you know, crossing paths, going on the elevator, what it was. That was a humbling experience. Let's say that. Like I was eating two cent ramen noodles every night. Like I was on 
the proper minimum, minimum, minimum amount of money because I was fortunate enough that my parents paid for my university and that's okay. something I'm so thankful for. Like a lot of people probably didn't because they went into debt and then the US school system doesn't have a hex system and all that kind of stuff. So it's very different in that sense. Um, and I was very fortunate, but I, I had a very much, a very minimum amount of money I could spend. What, what, what would generally be a year of engineering-ish, say per year? Are we, are we talking five grand, 10 grand? Oh, no, it would be 20, 25 grand. Okay, okay. I felt extremely guilty and also very fortunate and proud to have family and hmm. parents that were able to provide for college. Um, not that I'm using my college degree at all and yeah, <laughs> well, not nowadays, yeah, but yeah. Um, yeah, 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 hopefully never. But um, yeah, now I'll get to my second year and this is this is the year you're probably more, most interested in. So now in we're going more uh, this is, frat house style. Yeah, and I could give you some photos. It would be very incriminating and <laughs> I probably would not be playing next week. But <laughs> don't, uh, <laughs> don't do that, don't do that. Um, the next year was my, it wasn't a frat house. Um, I was never in a fraternity, but I was probably an honorary member, I would okay. say. Okay. Um, so I lived in a place called Hester House. Right. And you can never tell how many people were there. So yeah, it, it, it had some wild nights. And to say the least, it was it was chaotic, crazy. The house should have been condemned. Like <laughs> nothing worked in the house. Like there was like it was $180 um, a month to live in this place. Wow. If you can give an idea of like how cheap it was. And yeah. it was it was insane. And we're, we're two blocks from campus. It was just that the house was that crap. And um, I think at one point we had a homeless kid living with us. Um, we had seven or eight people. We'd wake up on a Sunday morning and there'd be people on the couch we'd never seen in our life. <laughs> <laughs> they would just go, great party last night, man. I'm like, I look at my roommate. I go, do you know him? He goes, no clue. <laughs> no clue, mate. And he would just roll out the door. And we'd just go, I'll never see that guy again. All right, let's move on um, from that because I don't want to... Can I say this one last thing? Please. So guy, I, just, I'm just a, I don't want to get crazy, you in trouble. There's a crazy life story here. I actually came to Australia and there's a fella, um, I won't say his name because he might get in trouble because he still lives in Melbourne. But um, Let's call him Knackers. Let's call him Knackers. Knackers. What an Australian name. Knackers. Uh, Knackers. He, he apparently went to my party house, right? And a friend of mine came from university to Australia after I moved here. And he goes, oh, I've got a friend of mine that you know, went to the same university. And um, he goes, oh, we'll go to, for a barbecue. And I was like, yeah, cool. And he shows me the address. The address, seriously, was two blocks away. And I go to this guy's house. And he's like, holy smokes, I know who you are. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, Hester House. And I was like, how do you know Hester House? <laughs> and I, I get real nervous at this point. <laughs> oh, I'm going, oh, okay. Is this going to go one way or the other? I'm not really too sure. And then he starts describing this one party we had. And it was like, we had we had a DJ. We had like laser beam shows. We had, we'd put, because we're broke. We'd put tin foil over the walls to try to like bounce the laser beams off and got a smoke machine. It was this whole thing. And um, he described the party to a T. And I was like, Dude, how the heck are you in Melbourne, Australia right now, living two blocks away from me, can describe my college career in a, in a nutshell? And it was a weird kind of like just small world moment. Back to Mason shortly. Next up on the Howie Games, broadcaster Karen Ty. Now, Karen is a longtime star on ABC TV and radio, but Karen's world was turned upside down when she became unwell, with her memory affected as a result. The courage Karen has shown to get on with life, to get back to work, and equally to tell her story to the podcast, it's an episode I really, really hope you make time for. It blew me away. Talking about accessing NAMS, I couldn't tell you my address. That's something as simple as that. So, for instance, I, I, I got so angry at myself. I would walk down to the front of the house. I could see our number and down the road I could see the road name. 
right, Karen, that's fine. You know where you live. By the time I'd walked back up inside, gone. Gone. Words gone. Frightening. That's Karen Ty next up on the show. Back to Coxie. Basketball. You got into an unusual route. I I haven't quite got this right, but you were involved in the girls' team? Yeah, so it's actually this person I'm I'm about to mention. She's very much in the media. This is not Knackers now. We've moved on from Knackers. I can actually say names now. Um, Brittany Griner. Do you know Brittany Griner? I do. She's now in this problem where she's in Russia right now. She's uh, been. I guess I think she had like some kind of um, cannabis oil or something on her and she's been put in jail. Or yeah, I read is. about and this. It's a pretty crazy story. The WNBA is trying to get her out and this whole thing is like kind of nuts and chaotic. But um, before she went to the WNBA, she played for Baylor and um, she played for them. And I was in my junior year, I think, no, sophomore year in that party house. And um, I, I remember I got this call up and they're like, hey, and my brother did this before me and this is very unique, but they said, hey, uh, I was playing at the local gym at some point. She said, hey, would you be interested in coming on and helping us out from a female basketball perspective? And I was like, oh, yeah, of course. I'd love to, you know. And I was like, what do we get? And she's like, we give you some free clothes, you know. And um, I was like, oh, sold. It's like free pair of shoes. Like college, broke college kid, you know. Like, I'm in. I was like, I'm in. Anything, you know, anything you need. And um, so I started training with them. And I was, I was essentially Brittany Griner for the team. So if they played against Baylor, I would play oh, yeah. as her. Because they didn't have anyone that was six foot eight. Because Brittany Griner is a very tall female. And um, I wasn't allowed to jump. I wasn't allowed to like, you know, like shot block anyone. Like I was kind of like, just just don't don't go crazy, but like still play enough to the point, you know, like you're going to be able to replicate her. So that was how I got into it. My brother did something similar whenever he was uh, with the women's team. Then he walked onto the men's team just like I did. And So, so we, explain that walked on. Yeah, so so walk on is essentially you pluck a student out of a out of the university, and yep. he is not getting paid scholarship. He's not getting paid any money to be there. Anything. So he's not there to play basketball. He's there to be an engineer. He's there to be a student. Yep. But all of a sudden, he's good enough to join the basketball team. I was not, but I walked into it, and this is all because of height. Same thing. Reason I play in AFL. Like if I wasn't tall, I wouldn't be here. Right. And um, yeah, so <laughs> so I I never played high school ball. Never played high school basketball, and. Um, they asked me to help out with the women's team and we were called the dream team right and like we were guys that we would just go drink on the weekend together like we were just kind of this group of guys that would just have a bit of fun and whatnot and um, we'd go and we were the dream team quote unquote and we'd play against them and they would, we would train the opposition's um, like plays against our women's team so that they could run them without knowing what it was so they would like go there and let's say they'd run like you know some play and then they'd have to react to it of us running that play against them so if it came up in a game they'd know kind of where to go and they'd okay. kind of walk them through it so we do that probably two three times and then one time they um the men's team was walking next to the same gym massive gym and they go oh who's the who's the tall fella you know and i was like and they go oh it's mason you know blah blah, blah. And i said oh we've just had two guys that um i think had got moved on from the university they said we need someone who's that height to be able to help us out so he reached out to me i was in like biology class or something and tommy wade who knew my brother reached out to me and he didn't know I was Nolan's brother. And he goes, oh, can you come to the basketball office? We want to you know, talk to you about something. I was like, okay, cool. So I'll rock up at like 11. And, and Tommy Way's just like, hey, do you want to join the team? And like, this is a team that flies private jets around the country, like team that gets all the kind of gear they want. Private like, jets? Oh, private jets, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I look at AFL and I'm like, like when I first came here, people were like, oh man, this is, you're at Collingwood, the greatest club and the biggest <laughs> club in all of Australia, you know? And I was like, uh, yeah, it's all right. <laughs> I was like, really? There's more money in university than there is at Collingwood. It's funny because Nick told me taking his family 
yeah. down his American family to St Kilda saying, how good is all this? And they're like, oh, yeah, it's nice. And then when he went oh, nice to the college uh, locker room, he was embarrassed because he'd been pumping up Moorabbin yeah. and yeah. Seaford. And it was <laughs> so this was the same experience <laughs> the for you. Same exact, man. And I was like, and it's a beautiful, don't get me wrong, F- facilities at Collingwood are amazing and beautiful. But like there is another level of money in college, uh, college sports. It's, it was crazy. Like the whole thing was insane. So I wasn't allowed to even eat with a team because of getting paid extra and stuff like that. There was certain little things that were just obnoxiously ridiculous that I was doing every training session but couldn't eat with a team because that was considered getting uh, benefits and not being on scholarship. To, to kind of give a, a good idea of how degrading at times it was being a walk-on, there was a drill they used to run at the very beginning of every basketball practice and it was called the dunk on Mason drill. And this is this is a legit a good picture of it. This is a legit thing they did, and I forever was like the first couple of times I was like just got absolutely just embarrassed. Like, so you it, had to stand under the ring. So it was, it was essentially two guys start at half court, right? I would yep. be top of the key. Yep. Uh, two guys would roll down. They'd go pass, 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 trying to get around me, and then like eventually we'd get to the post, and some guy would throw a lob up, and like Mark Brown would just come over the top, just stick his nuts on my head. Like and it was just like <laughs> stick his nuts on my head. It was just, it was just like, hey, welcome to the NCAA. So, was, so you're like, like the bag that they use at training in footy oh, that everyone worse. jumps on. It was worse. Like I think it's more embarrassing than that. And that was the way they warmed up. Was just wow. to like get a confidence booster from throwing it down on Mason Cox. But, but then you can start playing for that team. Well, here was the thing. After about. Oh, it was probably about. I'm still, maybe, dealing, with say, it. I'm still dealing with the nuts in the face comment. Yeah. But anyway, I'd say there was about ten of these situations of like them doing this, and then I kind of got annoyed with it to the point where I was like, "Stuff it! If you're gonna try to dunk on me, I'm gonna throw your ass to the court." So there's one where like the guy who has the biggest jumper, and you can look him up, Markel Brown. This guy could do 360 dunks off the back, but Markel Brown. Brown inside, throws it down. Hello, wow, Markel Brown with a thunderous dunk. He does it in the game like no one's on the court and it's practice. I got him like midair and I got like ball and just like threw him back and he like landed on his back and just like bang, like hit the ground and like hit the court and everyone just like just went silent. And it was like, ever since that day, never again were they really going to try to dunk on me because they're like, I might get murdered here. (laughs) That was the end of dunk on Mason. That was it. That was it. But it was a very humbling experience coming into a basketball program. Um, <laughs> and I was just knowing, like, because I'd never played basketball before. The first time, like I was saying earlier, whenever I first came in and Tommy Wade was like, oh, do you want to play for us? I had never put on ankle braces. And I remember I went down into the locker room and I sat there and they're like, I couldn't believe this because I was like, kind of like, it's a big deal playing college basketball and it's on TV and everything else. And I remember I sat down there, I like, went into the locker room, this big half a million dollar marble staircase goes down, you know, and you go into the locker room and they had my locker already set out as if I was going to say yes already. Like they knew and um, had a pair of shoes there and had like ankle braces. And the manager comes up, he goes, I'll put the ankle braces on. We'll see you upstairs in five. And I was like, well, what is going on? Like I was just in a biology class. Now all of a sudden I'm playing, like I'm training with the boys, you know, and uh, it was one of the funniest experiences. I sat there and I, I, I don't know if you've ever seen a pair of ankle braces. They go like figure eight and wrap around and stuff. And I was totally ignorant to this thing. So I'm sitting there like an engineer trying to sort out how to put these damn things on. And I'm like lacing them up and I'm trying to figure out the strap of like, you know, the Velcro and I couldn't get it. And then the manager comes down 10 minutes. He was like, what in the F are you doing? I was like, I've never played basketball, man. Like, I don't know how to put ankle braces on. Help me. And he's like, are you serious? And I can only imagine what was going through his head. Like this broke athlete is getting to play for the NCAA team. And uh, he eventually helps me put it on. I walk upstairs and, then they go, okay, and they, they, the Travis Ford, the coach, kind of introduces me. He goes, oh, everyone, this is Mason Cox. And everyone just kind of looks – I could see all the players looking at each other, and in their mind, they were going, what in the world? What? 
that's the guy we go party at his house on the weekend. <laughs> Why is he here? And like, and we all start laughing. And like the whole team starts laughing. And the coach goes, oh, do, do you guys know him? And all of them go, nah, nah, never seen him in my life. Never seen him in my life. No, no, he's, he's, uh, he's totally new face. No, no, no. And then like, fight up one-on-one. I'm, I'm just sitting there pissing myself laughing at the situation. And like, eventually, you know, this kind of comes to, comes to fruition. And I started playing basketball with him on a, on a daily basis. And it was just and, crazy. And so you play for the team? Yeah. Are I, you on the private jet now? Yeah, on the private jet. Um, full on, like full kit, full gear, 5 a.m. running sessions, you know, 7 a.m. weights, then to training in the afternoon. And it was a full deal. Like, and taking on an engineering degree, which is tough enough, to then throw on like being a full-time athlete was, and not get paid for it, was like crazy to me, like insane. And um, yeah, it just was an amazing, amazing experience. I'm so grateful for. And like, uh, there's a lot of people have been moved on from coaches and players and everything else. But um, that time of like those three or four years was was amazing. And um, so we, we've spoke for 51 minutes now, geez. and we have not even had you arrive in Australia. No. So, what's the first connection point? How do you end up in Australia? Because this is what... Because, Howie, this could go for 10 hours. Well, I feel like. I could well really... wait, mate, I've got as much time as you want. <laughs> like, this fascinates me. I'm happy me. to chat through it all, man. Um, so what happened? Uh, if you want to yeah, jump to AFL, so... Um, well, should we stick... I'm should... happy to finish off the basketball thing if you want. I'll make it quick. Okay. So I, I play the NCAA tournament, biggest tournament in the in the country. Um, it's this big kind of bracket and everything goes down to one winner. And played against people... Um, there we only made it. Is this to March the, Madness? March Madness, yeah, yeah. So you know what it is. Now I'm not sure um, if you know that Jim Nance has been on this podcast. No, I didn't. Huge. Huge. Yeah. He been a great kid. Two months ago, he spoke about the Masters. He spoke about the NFL, and he spoke about March Madness. Mm. I didn't know you'd played in March Madness. So I played in it three times now. And plays a loose term. Um, <laughs> plays a loose term. Experience it. Um, I so I was a walk on. I never played a lot. Like you were, you were the bag boy at training you were the defensive person you were never the person that looked at to be able to show any kind of athletic ability or like ability to give a layup like you were there in the background like whenever i would sit at games to give you an idea of just how embarrassing it was i didn't sit on the bench i sat on the bench behind the bench i sat with like the trainer and like you know a few managers and like we never were even looked at why do they treat you like that when you're part of the team because it was there was our weights coach got to sit in the the front bench over me the weights coach. The weights coach, yeah. But he's yeah. not running on. Exactly. But that's how much I played. Okay. And it was very much like they knew school was a priority, basketball was second. You know, where the okay. other guys, they were trying to make it to the NBA. They're trying to make it overseas, wherever it is. So like they had a better opportunity. Um, and I would sit there and I like, because we had like these things, um, I forget the name of them. There's these female supporters, right? And they would make signs for us every game. They'd give us candy before the game, all this kind of stuff. And they would sneak me Starburst and I would just sit in the back of the bench and just during the game so I knew I wouldn't play and I would just eat Starburst and Skittles and I would just chill out and I would try to hide it from the coaches, you know. And like, you're just sitting there and, you, you know, everyone like at a timeout, everyone goes out there and I've got this like packet of Starburst and Skittles <laughs> and like handing out to the other, you know, walk-ons and we're all just making a bit of so fun. So you know you're not getting on the game. Uh, no chance. If court. it's a close game, no chance for those okay. first few years. And then um, it was always fun though because if we blew a team out or if we got blown out by like 20, 30 points, the last like 30 seconds or a minute, you got this like anticipation of like, I might get on here. I'm on. I'm on. Like Put I need the to actually be ready. Down. Put the starburst down. Let's actually get some get, get a pirate in. Like, <laughs> right. it, was, it was very much like that, and it was it was hilarious because if you're ever at home or even on the road, like, and you were getting like you're blowing a team out, right? The whole team got around you. 
because the whole team was like, this is a rare opportunity and this kid sucks at basketball. <laughs> like this would be entertaining as hell. So it was like, there was one point, I think someone tried to throw me an alley-oop from like half court or something. And it was like, just went nowhere near it. And I just looked like the most unathletic white guy you ever meet. But um, yeah, it was, it was just hilarious. Like kind of experience for like anytime it was a blowout, you always got this like kind of anticipation you might get on. It was like this real excitement, you know? So did you play against any chaps that went on NBA? So my, so my third year, we had a few injuries and we had a guy named Marcus Smart who played on our team. He's one of the best um, defenders in the league. He's, I think he's defensive player of the year last year in the NBA. He plays for the Boston Celtics, went to the finals. Um, big kind of factor in that thing. And then um, I played with him. He actually went to my high school, um, known him for a long time. And then I played against people like Andrew Wiggins, Joel Embiid. So you played against Joel Embiid? I locked his ass down for a whole minute. <laughs> and that was the oh, highlight man. of my basketball right, career. Right, so that's it. I mean, he did have a bad back. It was probably half the size he is now. But that doesn't matter, Howie. That doesn't matter. He's a genuine There's a superstar. There's a vision out there of me right. making sure he doesn't get any buckets on me. We need this vision. Uh, oh, we need to find it somewhere. And it's probably blurry and disgusting. It's probably it's, not it's right the at the, the front of the ESPN tape library, nah, to be fair. No, nah, it, it wouldn't be in the highlight reel of the top 10 sports center. Um, <laughs> but... No, it was there was those are probably the biggest three I played against. But like it was my last year, we had some people get in trouble and some guys um, weren't being able to play and live up to I guess the expectations. And then we're playing at University of Texas, a big big game, you know. And, okay. and I wasn't really expecting to get in. And he was he was so furious at the other bigs, you know, that they weren't playing well. And all they needed to do is just rebound the ball and give it out to someone else. And that's all I could do. Like I couldn't shoot basketball worth my life uh, it's also like just be a bull inside get the ball and give it to your like skilled players right awkwardly enough i played pretty well and like i think i had like three or four rebounds and like you know i had a had a, a point i think i got fouled at some point and like chat myself on like the free throw line so it's like i can't hit a free throw because like i'm terrible at basketball i've never really done this how'd you go at the free throw i think i made one of two oh, actually 50%. In, the, in the ncaa basketball tournament i did score one point i think i banked a free throw in <laughs> That was that was probably the most points I've ever scored in a game. Um, there was that. No, I did I did dunk once in my once in my career at home on my senior night, which was awesome. Oklahoma State alley oop for Brown. A huge victory for Oklahoma State as they beat Kansas seventy two sixty five. Like I played really well, and then all of a sudden this media came around. and said, "Why are you not playing this kid? Just because like he hasn't just because you know he's not a basketball background. Like he all he needs to do is just rebound and give it to your players or your star players and." The media got around it and I started playing more and more and that's kind of how my basketball career started kind of building. And um, yeah, it was this crazy experience of this guy. And I remember it before that, one of the coaches had sat me down. This is a pretty big turning point in my life where I've had a lot of people tell me I can't do things in life. And there's, I'm like my mother, I'll never forget my mom, whenever she was in engineering. There's a professor, she always tells about her first year, it said, you'll never make it as a female engineer because females are not meant to be engineers. And wow. she graduated. Wow. Big F you to the guy yep. and um, worked in engineering for the rest of her life. And I think somewhat I've got that in me, that little bit of, you know, I'm going to prove you wrong. Yes. And um, one of the basketball coaches came up to me and he said, um, you're never going to play because if you play, that means that there's guys that are walking around this campus that are better than the people I recruit from around this world. And I said, that's not my problem. That's yours. Yeah. And that was the last time I think I'll probably talk to him. And I, I made it a point from then on that I was going to prove him wrong that I was going to be and I was going to actually be able to play and be a significant part of the team. And from then on, I had the opportunity at UT, played really well, and then started just playing little minutes here and there and uh, played against Kansas and beat Kansas at home, which was just something that never happened um, and had these amazing experiences. And that kind of led to the NCAA tournament where we played um, Gonzaga. And this is 
probably where the AFL comes in. Well, I played against Gonzaga, uh, played in this tournament in Holly Rose, a very famous um, commentator for the SPN over in the US. She had heard my story and she was like, this guy had never played basketball, but now they're playing NCAA tournament. This is absurd. Like, who would have ever thought? And uh, we we're playing on like, I mean, we we're top five in the nation at one point and stuff. And um, she told the story on TV. And this guy named Jonathan Giovanni, um, he does what's called NBA Draft Express. And it's this website that does full breakdown of like NBA players going to the NBA. So you've got stats, you've got background, you've got family history, you've got all this stuff, you know, just to try to give them an idea of where they're going to land in the draft. And the AFL somehow got a connection to him. And he had heard my story through Holly Road doing it on the NCAA March Madness. And he was looking at guys on my team that are going to the NBA. And he'd pass the name on to the AFL. And um, hmm. it was it was crazy. And this is like, I'll talk about it. And it's like, my life is absurd. Like, I should not be in the position I'm in. Like, there's no way, if I were to look back 20 years ago and go, I'm going to be in Melbourne, Australia, playing AFL. Like, I wouldn't even know what Melbourne is. Like, no, Did so, you know what AFL was? No, not a clue. I had to Google it. Like, in, So you hadn't even in, seen it on I thought cable. AFL was Arena Football League, which is in, indoor NFL. <laughs> Um, and that was whenever someone asked me if I want to play AFL, I was like, no, nah, I'm good. I don't really want, I'm not good at, I'm not good at NFL. <laughs> like, so I, so what happened was this guy, Jonathan Giovanni, he got, um, he got linked up, he, him and the AFL were linked up somehow and we lost that game. Uh, and then our media person, Mike, it was about two, three weeks later. I'm, I'm towards the, I'm in my last year of study, right? So you're going to become um, an engineer. Fully was going to become an engineer. Just had to finish my finals, get the degree, be done with it. And it was about a month or two before he calls me and like I'd already finished basketball. I was like, yeah, I'm done with it. You know, like I'm not going to play next year. Therefore, I don't need to come in. And he calls me. He's like, he goes, oh, I've got this weird email. Someone's emailed me about you about playing sport. I said, man, like my, my career's done, man. I'm going to play, I'm going to do engineering. Like it's all sorted. Don't stress. And um, he goes, no, it's this thing. Like just come in. I don't even know how to explain it. I was like, okay. So I walk into his office and we sit down. We he goes, it's this. He shows me the email kind of thing. He's this guy and. Uh, Jonathan, he's like, oh, I'm interested to maybe get you into this combine. It's called AFL and blah, blah, blah. And so I kind of looked at him and I was looking at Mark. And Mark looks at me and goes, would you really want to do this? And I was like, I don't know. Like, let's look it up. So we just Google it. And the first thing that comes up is YouTube, AFL. And Nick Riolt would have been one of them. And um, it was like AFL's biggest hit. Now, one of the first clips is like him back with a flight. Everyone knows it. The yeah. obvious, like the, the iconic one, back of the flight. Goes down towards top foot. Look out. Oh, revolt. Remarkable. After one of the great marks, you will see that time and time again. Nick Revolt running with the flight of the football. That dude's insane. <laughs> <laughs> like, he is mentally not there. And, uh, and then the next one's like Shane Mumford, like bang. Kicks it. Not the best of kicks for Duncan. Oh, oh the big mama fight. By golly damn. <laughs> It's the first dude. time you see footy. First time I'd even heard of it or seen anything that was remotely close to the IFL. arena football league. Yeah, that's what I was, I was like. And I was like, these dudes are tough than NFL boys. And um, I don't know why. I'm a bit of a prick. And I was like, and I'm a bit of a you know physical person. I was like, I was interested. I wasn't like scared. Most people were like, so that got you. Whoa. I was that like, got you. This looks cool. This is like no pads, free for all, do whatever you want. No, no rules or regulations, it looks like. And um, so I had already accepted a job at ExxonMobil, uh, which is one of the- ExxonMobil? ExxonMobil, right. which yep. is a um, oil and gas company. And they were number one on Fortune 500 list. So they were like the best grossing, net grossing um, company in the US at the time. So it's a really good career move for you. Best really job career. coming out of college. Okay. Uh, and a lot of that came from basketball, the experience of basketball and to have different life experiences. Because I always tell people, and this is maybe a bit of advice for people listening, but- 
whenever you go for a job, a lot of people are not hiring you based on, there is a certain amount that you need to know, but like they're based on your personality will get you across the line. Mm. If you're a person that someone wants to sit next to at a desk every day and is going to do interesting things in their life and it's going to be someone, you come back from a weekend, you go, what did you do on the weekend? They go, oh, I did X, Y, Z, you know, rather than saying, oh, I just sat at home. Couldn't agree more. Could not agree that more, That will mate. get you through the door 10 times more than having a little bit better grades than someone else. Mm. And that was what got me. Like I, I knew people at 4.0, which is 100% run. And then I was probably maybe... 85, 90%. But I got jobs over them because I felt as an engineer, I was able to hold a conversation and be able to speak to someone through a whole interview process. Being able to keep everyone in the room. Exactly. And that's something that's not valued as much as it should be. And if there's any advice, like for someone that's going out looking for a job or something else, it's like one, be true to yourself, but two, be interesting. Be someone who you want to, like think of it and shoot on the other foot of, do I want to sit next to this person every single day for the next 10 years? Mm. Do I, do I vibe with this person, you know? And that's that's almost just as, as important as your resume. Um, I love the advice. Yeah, that's random. But So, that, so the, the, the career path is there. It's set yeah. up and then they're talking to you about the Arena Football League and you're looking at highlights of Rui. <laughs> yeah. And so so I, 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 I hope people are beginning to understand how ballsy a decision is being made here. Oh, I'd never heard of Melbourne. I only knew Sydney because Sydney was the first place in the world, essentially one of the first places to go into the new year. So on the morning of New Year's Eve, yeah. you would see Sydney Fireworks Bridge Harbor. Before anyone. That was like, hey, it's New Year's Eve. Sydney's already in the new year. How crazy is that? They're ahead of us. They're in this futuristic time zone. And so you'd never been to Australia? No, never even. No chance it would have even crossed my mind. I was a broke college kid. Never could afford it. But um, yeah, so I, I had this job. And I'd already moved my stuff to Houston. I'd already picked out an apartment in Houston where ExxonMobil's headquarters was. I had fully committed to that. And then this thing just came out of the blue and he goes, uh, do you want to come to Los Angeles for this combine? And he had done it on like Facebook Messenger. Like this wasn't like, this was just like- Wasn't even your mobile. Like, wasn't even my mobile. Like <laughs> this, because I was like, this guy's crazy. I don't believe this is even a real thing. And look, I'm going to be honest with you, no disrespect to the IFL, like they're not known on an international level. No. And I thought this was some Eastern European basketball league that was probably going to fold after, you know, the owner like loses his company and goes bankrupt and everyone's just lost in Ethiopia or whatever, <laughs> or not Ethiopia, Estonia. Estonia. Know, Estonia. Yeah. And it's like, can't get home. There's no flights. You know, I thought that was what the IFL was. And that was like my picture of it. I was like, if it's good enough and it's financially viable enough, I would have heard of it by now. Um, I hadn't. <laughs> I thought it was the Arena Football League. Um, so yeah, so I, I was like, didn't really, I was like, oh, whatever, like worst case scenario. And this is, this is kind of me and my mentality. I was like, oh, what's it going to cost me to go to this combine? The guy goes, oh, all expenses paid. I was like, all expenses paid trip to Los Angeles. I was like, sure, whatever. Yep. Can't miss. I go, I'm in. I go, just let me know. I go, so I'll only go if I can stay an extra day just to go see friends in LA, have a bit of a holiday, you know? And this is probably two, three weeks before finals and, uh, for final exams. And, um, so I go to Los Angeles and I get on this flight and I get picked up in this like white van. It's like an unmarked white van. And there's just a fellow dentist picks me up. Nice, nice, nice fellow you ever met. He's part of the USAFL kind of people. And he picks me up and I get into the, the, uh, I get into the white van and there's this fella who was the last team we played Gonzaga. And then he said, well, tournament was sitting next to me. And he was this like guy who was playing against it. basketball, you know, and I, I recognized him. I was like, oh my gosh, like, what are you doing here? And he's like, I have no idea. And I was like, me too. I was like, I've got no idea what I'm getting myself into. And um, so we go on this. It's kind of funny because everyone that was there had no clue what was going on. And um, we all just kind of got to this hotel and then I like, went to this combine man. And I, I, I 
I don't necessarily struggle, but I sometimes refrain from telling about this because it probably doesn't put AFL in the greatest light. Go for it. Um, and this is probably not going to get me a job at the AFL post-career. Well, maybe it does. Maybe I can make it Mate, better. Mate, your but podcast, Mason Cox, is going to be so big you don't need to worry about AFL administration. Let's, let's hope. Yeah. Because this is not an option after this chat. Okay, so, go on then. Uh, so we get to this thing and it's like a combine, right? And it's you get there and there's like a shirt, an underarm shirt with a number on it, kind of like any other combine, right? And like the first day, I think it was, they were like, okay, we're going to do, like some people came in, we did like a mental um, kind of like quiz and stuff. And they told us, like they essentially gave us an idea what AFL was. And they're like, here's some photos, here's some vision. Here's a player that I'd playing. So Mick Allen was there. Todd Kennelly was there, who's an Irish fellow that's played for Sydney, you know, won a premiership. And uh, still cool, like close mates with them. And uh, and then Shifter was there. So Kevin Shane was it? Yeah. So, and this is, and like, let's be honest here. I'm going to be 100% <laughs> see through on this. I think people went there as a holiday and they got to tax write it off through the IFL. Like there was no <laughs> chance they really thought someone was going to come from this, you know? Like it was. It was kind of like all these people so that were recruiters there. So you're shifter was there on a junket. Oh, shifter was there probably having beers every night, just living <laughs> his best dream in LA. And um, I got it, got there, you know. All the different like recruiters are there and stuff, you know. And they're all just like having a bit of fun. And no one had ever really come out of there, I guess. But uh, oh no, sorry, Eric Wallace, Jason Holmes had come out of it, I think. And there's a few other Americans that had done it, but it was really a holiday for people. Right. Like it wasn't. I don't think they really took this serious. And the reason I say that is the first experience I had. They're like, we're gonna run a three k time trial. So I was like, oh, great, cool, happy to. We go and take these white vans and there's like, we stuff them full of people and everyone's looking at each other like, what is this? You know, what's going on? Like, we have no clue. And we just get to the soccer field and the soccer field's got one of the red tracks around it, you know, and there's just people everywhere. And I'm like, what is going on? And this is, I'm not saying like people like recruiters, like this is like grandma's like, like on their walks around like the field. <laughs> and then there's like an adult league soccer game being played. Like, and there's just like kids and parents and strollers everywhere. And I'm like, this is where we're going to do the 3K. And he's like, yep. So we go there and we show up and it's like, there's, cam there's like one camera and they're trying to promote us, I think, through the AFL. And I was like, this is the most unprofessional stuff I've ever seen in my life. I was like, you're in a football and this, not is, doing it. this is the thing. It's like, I didn't have high expectations because I had never heard of this thing, but this just justified <laughs> that this was not a real thing. Like this was telling that I was like, the AFL is not going to be able to give me a paycheck at the end of the day. And I remember just showing up and they're like, all right, cool. Like everyone just get ready, you know, warm up. Like, and we just... We ran a 3K time trial and I'm, I'm seriously running around, you know, like the Karens of Brighton who are just having a chat around this like, like this red track. And I'm just like, this is so unprofessional. This can't be a real sport. And um, we did a 3K time trial and it goes really well. And yes. then they show us what a footy is. And we're looking at everyone thinks it's a rugby ball because most of us have never even seen a rugby ball before. And um, you can imagine like 17 or 20, whatever it was, um, basketballers who had never seen a footy before trying to learn how to handball and kick. Like it was sprayed left, sprayed right. They never used hand to foot coordination. Like it was all hand to hand eye coordination. And it was just the most embarrassing thing I've ever seen in my life. And I was like, surely none of us are going to be professionals in this sport. And like, there's only one How guy. How bad are the athletes in Australia if we can get oh. a run? Howie, that's, that's, what, that's what I was thinking. I was like, they must these be guys duds down must there. be absolute duds <laughs> in Australia. They must have zero athletic ability over there. And um, I, still, <laughs> I still to this day worried that some American who's actually athletically gifted <laughs> is going to come over here and tear the league apart and make me look like an absolute idiot. That Mason Cox wasn't that good oh, after all. He was, like, he, was, he was a bum compared to the ones so, who get So what happened off the back of that that you got an invite to Australia? 
well, is, so we did this whole combine. We did jumps and everything else. I think at one point they said I was the highest jump out of my left foot of anyone else, and I was the tallest person to ever be at a combine. They had these kind of like, you know, like like facts that would make you kind of like stick out, you know, and <laughs> everyone was interested. You could tell by the end of it, like everyone was interested because like Todd Canelli, Nick Ablett, Kevin Shifter, they were all there kind of like in your pocket, you know. And um, I get to the end of this thing, right? And it's like, we had gone through and you could tell people were interested and all teams were interested. So it was Port Adelaide, Fremantle, Richmond, North Melbourne, Collingwood were the five teams that showed up. And Collingwood- This is still in LA. This is still in LA. Yeah. And we're sitting at like a holiday inn and like they're chatting to us where it was, you know? And then like Derek Hines, who's the recruiter at the time at, for Collingwood and stuff still is. And he was, he was there to, to be like the person to try to get someone on for Collingwood to be their representative. And he's a ruthless human. Like, and I love those kind of people. That's like, I see something I want and I'm going to get it. You yeah. Know? And um, I remember I went out to the, no, to like the pool place. It's like this trash cabana out the back of this holiday. And, you know, it's like, this is not professional. <laughs> like, this, <laughs> this, is, this is embarrassing. And we sat down for an hour because they all had to get on the same flight to Australia. We sat down for an hour and he made sure no other club talked to me. Did he? And then as soon as he finished up, it was like everyone was getting their cabs out of there. Right. So, so he utilized all the time available. He sucked up as much time as he could. He talked about the most ridiculous things about Melbourne's the greatest place in the world. And like, you know, you'll have all this stuff and you'll be <laughs> an absolute star. All this jazz, you know. And I was kind of like, what? dude, I, this is not a real sport. <laughs> You're not convincing me. Until I see this thing, I'm not going to believe you. And uh, so we sailed the cabana this whole day, whatever it was. And then uh, no other team got to talk to me. And um, so then everyone left, right? And I went and had a few drinks with some friends that night. And then um, I, I was just like, I was in this whirlwind of like, I can't believe this. And then some media came around us. And then I'd call up ExxonMobil and be like, hey, I still, I'm still committed to your offer. There's some stuff that's coming out saying I might go to Australia. I just want to let you know I'm fully committed until things change. And um, yeah, so it was just like crazy time in my life. I was like, I just couldn't believe this. I thought my career in sport was done. I was moving on to engineering. I was going to work that till I retired and, you know, uh, Yellow Brick Road. So we get to this point. I go back and um, well, I actually, to finish that off of that combine, and I don't know if I've actually said this and this might get some people in trouble, but um, at that cabana, I remember this happening. I was like, okay, maybe this is the first sign there is money in the IFL was the IFL and I think Derek Hahn said, what are you doing tonight? I said, oh, I'm going to have drinks with friends. You know, I got an extra day here, whatever. He goes, now come back with us. We'll book your ticket at the counter, fly back to Mel with us. We'll show you and give you an experience what IFL was. Then and there. Then and there. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, I've got two pairs of clothes. I can't go for two weeks. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I can't get clothes that fits me off the rack. And um, so then I was like, <laughs> The first experience. You're of not like, an off the rack guy. Oh, no chance. Dude. I've got like three companies that I can get. What are they called? From. Big and mighty, or mighty and big? Or... Oh, I want to give a plug to anyone else. Dubs clothing. What's uh, it Dubs, Dubs clothing. Dubs clothing. Where I get my stuff right from. Right Dubs then, clothing. Uh, yeah, and then the other one, uh, well, is uh, plus two, which I'm wearing a shirt at the moment. Plus but, two. I was high um, and mighty. I remember Sam Newman used to do yeah, ads for high and mighty, which is this is like this is the problem with tall people. It's big and tall, so you got like a sixty waist and like you know tall, <laughs> so it doesn't really do me any justice. Okay, um, so they want anyway, you to get on the plane. So they, they want to bring me back to, to Melbourne. I was like, what are you talking about, man? Like, I've got like two weeks till I finish university, right? I got a week or two till like finals and then I graduate. And that's like five years in the making and like hundreds of thousands of dollars to like get this, you know? Um, and I was like blown away. I was like, thanks, but no thanks. And um, so I go on, I'm like kind of in this whirlwind. I can't believe this is happening. You know, like my terrible trash basketball career has led to this opportunity that might happen to get me a half a world away to Australia. And it was just insane. So I go back to school 
And then I keep getting these calls from the AFL and like the clubs and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, man, I'm trying to study. So, so you dismissed it at this point? I I didn't 100% dismiss it, but I was like, hey, a free trip to Australia sounds pretty cool. Um, but so I got I, stuff to do here. I got to finish my I was degree. like, I want to finish uni, yeah. So I have a very close relationship with my brother, Nolan. And Nolan, um, he's like, was a tech salesman for Dell at the time, I think. And he was like, psyched about it. he was like dude this is awesome he was like dude who would have thought you might be able to work out for a living and like we're, we're just like these small town kids <laughs> who you know? would have like, thought you could work out for a living it was just like we thought basketball at college level like riding the bench behind the bench was the coolest thing we'll ever do from an <laughs> athletic career and then he's like dude who would like maybe maybe man he's like let me be your agent and I was like <laughs> I can't want no oh, Nolan I was like are you sure and he's like 100%. So like the next... So Nolan's next, taking on full Jerry Maguire Nolan's mode. full gone Jerry Maguire. And he's taking phone calls at like 3 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> Come on, Nolan. And he's like shifting around like, oh, I don't know. Like Collingwood might give us more money. And like all this kind of stuff. And I'm like... Collingwood oh, might give us more money. It was so funny because it was just like two people so out of their depth. <laughs> so out of their depth. And no idea what was going on. And he ends up like becoming my interim agent for like that short amount of time. And so it gets to like two weeks. I tell him, I said, I don't want to be contacted with the AFL. I need to focus on my study. Let me finish this and we'll figure it out. So I go, I finished my degree um, and like graduate, I think that weekend. And then like that Monday, my brother had organized for us to fly. So, so for me to fly to Australia for two weeks to figure out what AFL was. And um, so Nolan did well. Nolan did really well. Well, I actually reversed agent him at one point. Cause he was like, oh, Mason will fly over here. I'll get this two week experience. I was like, I reckon I could get more out of the AFL. So I was like, no, nah, I'm not going to go. No, nah, I'm not going to go. And the AFL is so invested. They had already kind of put like articles out. They didn't want to look stupid. They didn't want to look stupid. So they're like, <laughs> I was like, I, I had a job already. I was like, I don't really care. Like, let's just have fun with this thing, man. Who cares? Who gives a damn? So I used to sit there and I'm like, oh, we've got AFL wrapped around our finger. I was like, we can do whatever we want. So he goes, I was like, oh, and they're like, oh, you're going to come out here for two weeks. And I go, nah, not coming out. They're like, what do you mean? And I was like, I'm not coming out unless my agent comes with me. <laughs> so you, you wedged Nolan in there. I wedged Nolan in there. And we flew premium economy <laughs> over to the Australia. We thought we were hot shots. <laughs> we were the most important people in this world. And it was hilarious. Like we were just pissing ourselves that this whole experience was happening. And we flew over and like, it was unbelievable, man. So... My brother's now my interim agent, Nolan Cox, and it, like he's got zero experience. <laughs> and we're we're trying to like we're trying to make a deal with the IFL with no idea what we're doing, uh, and we just were we're laughing. This whole experience was just like worst case scenario. We go back to what's going to do anyway. Like there's no there's no losing here. That is the end of Mason Cox part A. Plenty more good stuff on part B. See you there, legends.